0: Welcome to Uncontained episode 158. I'm your host, Aaron Static Render, and on the show today, I speak with musician Gustavo Bulgac. He's the frontman, clarinet player, and saxophone player in the band Klezmer Juice. And uh, you may have seen them. If you ever watched this little-known movie called Wedding Crashers with uh, Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson, Uh, they're the band that plays uh, live in that movie. I'm sure you'll recognize it. And uh, this is a great conversation that I have with Gustavo. And, uh, well, it actually spills into two episodes normally I sit down talk to my guests about an hour we just kept on going before i knew it it was two hours up so i had to break it down into little bite-sized morsels for you uh we talk about him getting started with an elton john figure of uh of of south america which uh he calls eltono jano just uh a little alias there for you but then he talks about playing with Once he got, uh, but after a while, he became, he became a member of the International House of Blues Foundation Band, which, uh, you know, served as the house band for a lot of musicians that came through and needed a band to play with them. And he got to play with Little Richard, Taj Mahal, uh, Benny Maupin, who became one of his mentors. And also, oh, yeah. Prince, and Slash, and uh, yeah, those names like that. He got to play alongside them on stage at jams that normally had 25, 25 superstars on stage at once, but I won't tell you all about it, and yes, this intro is getting a little long because this interview was a little crazy and filled with... with many a quotes i believe uh and filled with many quotable moments so i won't keep you waiting any longer this is part one with gustavo bulgach of klezmer juice right here on uncontained
1: great thank you very much for having aaron my last name is bulgach like the uh writer mikhail bulgakov but get the off off i learned my lesson and i uh change it into "bulgi." Bulgi, and uh, so it yeah it's easier because it's a long story but long story short uh we are every member in my family is being called by their friends for the last name so every one of us okay. is bulgach so when they used to call them my home phone And pick up the phone, said, Hey, is Bulgatch there? And it's, and it's, which one of them? There are five of them. So, (laughs) (laughs) but in Argentina, it was uh, much easier to pronounce. Uh, But when I moved to LA, I moved to New York first in 92. I got a scholarship to go to uh, actually Boston uh, to a school of music. Uh, But I landed in New York because I, at the time, was uh, very good friends with Bramford Marsalis so he negotiated okay. me uh, to get a scholarship in, in a school in boston um i landed in new york stayed with him for a few weeks and then he moved uh west to do the uh the the tonight show remember when when the whole band in 92 anyway so yeah. i i ended up living with another friend named paul in new york and having a great time so when it was a, a time for me to to move to uh boston for, to go to school i just moved to boston it just was not really happening it wasn't happening so i came back um a few days later so i show up to my old roommate's paul's uh, house and he said wow what, what are you doing here i said i i i had to come back to new york and he said um how how long were you in uh, in school and i said four days and he oh, four said, days you made that decision quick. and he said four days too many <laughs> but not because of school i always believed in education but to me education especially in the arts comes in uh in two ways one is through education uh, and the experimentation of that education meaning you know you go to uh music school you play all day long and you experiment with other people you you play things you arrange things that's beautiful But also from experience, which is the most crucial thing. I am a big believer of uh, rescuing that experience, not only of your own experience, but if you're really smart, you rescue other people's experience and you learn from that, which is the ultimate uh, uh, conclusion of every endeavor to learn something, right? Even in a hard time, you, you have to force yourself to learn something and for example, uh, I was born in Argentina, and I play in Argentina um, um, almost uh, out of being a teenager. At, at 18, I, I was already playing, uh, but I got hired by, by a singer like Elton John, right? a singer-songwriter with a piano and a band.
0: You got hired by Elton John? No, by
1: somebody like Elton John of Argentina to get you a perspective okay. of who that person was and okay. and i was
0: like the argentinian elton john gotcha. elton
1: john el tono, el tono <laughs> el
0: all right Perfect. so
1: eltono jono came across at a moment that i really needed money because i was going to medical school and i was absolutely broke and uh music already saved me once but uh, at this time when this situation came across it really saved me because i didn't want to drop um, all my artistic side and just enjoy you know medicine and, and so I, it was always on that edge of the sword right I always skate on the edge of the sword and okay. the edge of the sword is uh, you know when you get used to it it's very nice you know you don't need any drugs you just you know right on the edge of the sword that's all the drugs <laughs> you need because it's so uncertain so end, I ended up uh, playing for this guy in Argentina for like seven years. Uh, well, dropped cool. out of uh, medicine and got into psychology and finally dropped out of uh, school altogether because uh, school is, is way different. And, and, and at that moment in Argentina, was highly politicized and I have no political inclination, uh, a, a highly humanistic inclination, but uh, I, I have no favor to anybody. So um, this El Tono jono Giano- right El Johnna, yes. <laughs> me and, and taught me a lot because i thought well here we go you know i am uh, 18 years old and i gotta go on tour with this guy and whatever but we barely worked because he didn't have a, an album out so he started saving money from the little shows we had and and put out an album and that album got like four songs in the top 10 in argentinian charts at the time uh-huh. Yeah, so we went from no gigs to like 120 gigs a year. So it was justified to drop off out of anything else and continue with this, which is a very nomad life. Um, But, you know, at 20, you know, from 18 to 20-something, it was fantastic. You know, it was great. I learned a lot. But at the same time, I was coming back home to uh, continue with my education in in, in terms of like... um, Uh, Not going to school, but going to private lessons with with teachers that became mentors. Okay. More than just teaching. You know, one thing is to go to a teacher. Another thing is to really find a mentor, somebody you want to look like, not in terms of the appearance, but how you want to sound like, how you want to behave like. Uh, This person was really strict. And Eltono Jono was even more strict so anybody really? thinking like i was like you know sex drugs, and rock and roll is looking south because to us was you know the most extreme um and and profound this self-discipline uh experience because you had to get on with the program and this eltono Jono did not like even tobacco cigarettes so imagine what comes if he will find so anyway he became really popular. We became very popular. And what happened was we had more responsibilities. Why? Because let's say I'm drunk at a bar and I break yeah. into a fight. The police comes and gets me. They don't get Gustavo, Bulgach, whatever. They get the saxophone player from El Tono jono So El Tono jono had this la- zero tolerance law. And I have learned so much. Everything to me was amazing because I I started at the same time going to a really great music teacher who taught me not only saxophone, clarinet, and flute, but also uh, life and and re, uh, forwarded me to referred me to a piano teacher that also taught me arrangements and, and piano. So I was getting my my education as much as I, I was getting, you know, the mentorship from these people. So I was really, you know, living a very exciting stuff. You know? Yeah. Very exciting. You know, investing my money and asking my dad for loans to get more saxophones and stuff that I needed. So uh, when Elton John uh, hired me, I only play alto saxophone. But very shortly after, we made a deal that he will pay me more money if I bring more saxophones. So I ended up playing keyboards, electronic saxophone, or the EWI, uh, alto, soprano, and tenor saxophone, and flute. Electric saxophone. You Is know that, like... that controller, that EWI thing. So I was playing keyboard, and I also played keyboard sounds with the uh, with the uh, wind controller that in the okay. late eighties looked very nice, and, and 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 to me it was fantastic. I was, you know, I just walk into the band with one instrument, and and in in no more than maybe two years, and within two years, I started bringing more and more instruments, and I was enjoying it. I don't care if, but you know, people thought whatever. And we had a great time. Everything was great.
0: So you're on the road with Elton Giano, yeah. um, Touring around. Um, not living the sex, drugs, and rock and roll style, but just the rock and roll part of it. And learning all sorts of instruments. Uh, so how long from when you were with Elton Johnno until uh, you uh, started up uh, Kelsmer? Uh,
1: what I did was... Um, this mentor I that I told you that started teaching me many other instruments. Uh, at some point, he said, "Well, you know, now you're gonna have to think about your own career. What do you want to do with with your own career? You know, this opportunity of exposure is great, but you know, it's 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 just exposure. It's like you know, we call it like footprints in the water. Like it it, it just it really does not last for more than what it is. So." When when you step on water, you know, it's, at the moment you step on water, is is over. So you need to create another footprint and so forth. And, and we had, um, I'm going to share with you and with everybody, something that is, right. to me, a very uh, important motto. You know, when people say that the opportunity is like a train that comes to you and you got to catch it? Yeah. Oh, that's true. But according to my mentors the train comes at 500 miles an hour so if you're standing still it runs over you my friend you have to be in motion you have to be in such a fast motion yourself that when you jump into the train of opportunity you almost at the same speed okay
0: that that's actually really good advice because you know it can pass you by
1: Um, it passes you by all the time you are just not at that speed and unable to jump into that opportunity but opportunities are like rain it flows constantly you need to concentrate on you why the only way to succeed another one brand for Marsalis quote and he he's gonna kill me for this but this is his quote (laughs) he says when they call you they give you a lot of money When you call them, they give you nothing. So you have to forge yourself to make them call you. Because if you call them, it will be no money involved.
0: Yeah, because they know you're desperate, you're looking for something. And like when they come to you, they're like wanting you and and you might not necessarily at that point. Need them and have other options if that, that's how I'm interpreting that correctly, or no and
1: you, my friend, are so wise. Get it into your own self and and work with it every day. It's like win in yourself because the whole idea for this conversation is to encourage people to move on to move ahead, never stay still uh this this art form of anything you want to manifest in your life performing let's talk about performing. That, you know, the fact of like you can record or videotape does not permit you or allow you to rest on your shoulders about performing. Performance has to happen all the time. Find another venue to perform again and find, you know, a place that will give you, you know, four Thursdays in a row to perform. But do never stop performing. Why? Because you are changing all the time. But only changing when you perform. The other thing is just in your head.
0: You're saying the only time you really have growth is when you're out there doing it, not just thinking about it.
1: Thinking about it is fantastic. That is step number one. Then the action has to follow. Okay. You really need to risk yourself everywhere you go and sweat and not be able to sleep the night before and neither be able to sleep the night after. Why? Because that energy is what gonna get you uh, to the next one and to the next one? You know, if it's money-driven, uh, you're a, 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 you know success uh, like your success will be will be uh, reflected on how much money you make. Sometimes uh, you you won't really you know go to banking. It, it reward you more in money. I mean, you know, if you really want to find the treasure chest uh, in your life, uh, go where you know gold is much like to be found but this art form is for you and is for you to give never to get whoever you think i'm getting something out of this is a fool you give you give 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 the more you give the more room you have to get new things
0: i, I like that i like that but you said the more you give the more you have to get new things though could no, you explain that room a little you bit you more? have
1: in your life to get new things in you you know, you're not a hard drive that gets fooled and that's it. You are a breathing living being that every time gives energy out, gets some energy back in. Like a musician. Exactly. When you, This is why Klezmer Juice came about. And the idea of Klezmer Juice is the Jewish soul music platform for me. I don't want to get stuck in that. I don't want to be part... I don't know if you heard the music I play. I play the music with one foot in tradition and the other foot on the now. Just so people know, Kelsmer is
0: actually a style of music. Correct. Correct. At
1: this moment, it is because you know klezmer is the name of the they, they gave to the Yiddish musician. But then it evolved, and like everything else, klezmer is like an umbrella. You know when they said, "I'm gonna go dance salsa music." Oh, let's go salsa. Okay, uh, you go salsa. But if you are interested in the music, then you look at it, and then you understand that is salsa is just an umbrella. Inside of that umbrella is Juanco, merengue, pasodoble, eh, bolero, and so forth. So yeah, so, yeah you, you, Klezmer is the same thing. Now they call klezmer to that umbrella of Jewish soul music. Is cantorial. Is the old school? Is the bar mitzvahs? Is the weddings? Is the new stuff? Is the uh, crazy schmucks? And it's like taking it to the moon and back. <laughs> it's all of that, and the Sephardic included, and for people who don't really know, Israel music, Israeli music included too. So everything related with Jewish experience is what I call klezmer. Okay. <clears throat> So my Jewish experience is started as a young kid with my brother going to my grandfather's synagogue in Argentina and watching this 11-piece yiddish band going from Friday night to Sunday night playing weddings, and bar mitzvahs and whatever at the same location because the synagogue at the time was the center of the social life. So my brother and I thought they were like the Rolling Stones time a million <laughs> seriously, you're laughing bad. You know, if you think the, the, the music has a lot of energy today, imagine kids in like 7, 8 years old or 5, 6, you know, watching these guys like wearing tuxedos and sweating, but playing music and people dancing like crazy. So that's what I got from the very beginning. To me, music is the soundtrack of happiness. I like that. It's the soundtrack of life. Like it's the blues. You know, the blues, uh, fast forwarding again, I'm landing in L.A., I'm moving out of New York, I'm landing in L.A., I'm playing with a bunch of friends, I'm working with other artists, Latin artists and whatever, and I get the opportunity to play every Saturday night in Culver City with a trio of uh, guys' bass uh, drums and guitar, and they invited me, and we used to be called Black Coffee and Jam because that's what used to happen. (laughs) <laughs> they used to give us black coffee and we used to jam but the jams would get really busy and what had in common between the four of us was that we we were strongly inclined to make people dance even though we were jamming we were playing whatever we wanted but we were making we were we were making sure people were dancing and long story short an agent from a new upcoming club called the House of Blues So as performing, she came over and she said, I love you guys. It's three brothers and a schmuck. Uh, This is going to be looking perfect for the House of Blues. And and we thought like, sure, whatever. But long story short, we became the House of Blues, International House of Blues uh, Foundation Band. And our job was along with three other beautiful singers slash actresses telling the story of the blues to the uh, mostly school kids, but 100 people, 150 people every morning. And we used to take them around the the House of Blues, which was uh, a a, a tremendous, beautiful building with historical references and all about slavery and the blues and the African-American experience. And then we would get into the stage label and we would play a bunch of uh, music for them. And in the evening, we would either open for an act or play with a, a showcase act. So I play with so many people, Aaron, I play with so many people from America and outside America. And one more job I want to tell you, and we're going to talk about this briefly because that was an iconic LA Monday night blues jam at the house of blues. When the house of blues started Monday night, they had a, they called the world famous blues jam. And he was world famous. We okay. were in charge of opening. We were the opening act, and not opening act, but we were the warming up. So by eight o'clock, we, we were getting on stage and play some blues and stuff. And by nine, nine thirty, uh, either Don Aykroyd or anybody from the Blues Brothers would come on stage and start entertaining, oh, and cool. people started signing up for the jam. And the jam would go along with like Slash and. I caught like Johnny Guitar Watson
0: slash it, played with you played with slash.
1: We were in the same stage at the same time for many Mondays. But what happened awesome. was this. As m- as many more famous musicians will get on stage, Taj Mahal and many, many, many others.
0: Didn't you play with Little Richard, too, or something? Yes, too? I
1: play with Little Richard. <laughs> Man, I will pay money to play again with Little Richard. What an experience. I've been blessed, my friend. I've been blessed by
0: the best. That that is awesome, man. That's an experience right there. And I I read that you also played with the Whalers. Is that the uh, well, reggae they, band?
1: Yeah. Uh, they, they, like Bob Marley and the Whalers. Whalers. Yeah, man. The Whalers. What happened was, uh, we were uh, playing with Vusi Mahasela, who was at the time like the poet of Mandela. He came to L.A. a bunch of times, actually twice a year or three times a year, and we were his band. You know, he couldn't afford to come for, for you know, he was Boosie and his manager, and, and you know, he's such a heart. Oh, man, he's my brother. We love each other. I mean, we love Boosie oh, so much. Anyway, so we were on stage playing his South African experience stuff, and I'm from Argentina, so I understand his, his vibe a little more than – than the North American fellas. So I was okay. helping him getting like you know, oh I know this is like this and they have polyrhythms and stuff. And he was the band was really cooking. So we had a date where we were uh, I think we were opening and then it was the Wailers. That was the night at House of Blues. It was Boozy Mahacela and then the Wailers in, in the bill and we were the band for Boozy. But you know we started playing and, and it was so magical that the Wailers showed up on stage. And two hours later, they turn off the lights. They just turned off the light? Yeah, the manager turned off the light because it was like, it's enough time, that's it. You guys cannot be playing forever. So since the <laughs> moment the whalers showed up on stage at our set, it wasn't even the end of Boozy's set. We were just playing, I don't know, third song. And they just showed up. They loved the vibe. They loved the music. They got into their instruments and they started playing.
0: And they when, weren't even supposed to be there. They just no, showed they up was, and like jammed with you guys.
1: And smoked weed and everything was like <laughs> so crazy. And Elton Johnno would be pissed. Elton Johnno will be firing me on stage, but this is a completely <laughs> different moment. And I wasn't generating anything. I was just like ousted because I see people coming on stage. And at that point, I worked for the House of Blues so much that I'm used to it. I'm used yeah. to people invading stages. Why? Because Prince will invade the stage, and he will beg you to give him an amp so he can play. So I will take wow. him to a, um, a a gear room we had. We had a gear room, and I say, like, which one of these amps do you want, Mr. Prince? And he said, <laughs> I like your accent. Where are you from? So like, we're talking about amps. And he said, I like that amp. Can you give me that amp, that Fender amp? Of course. And I would grab it and I said, by the way, I'm from Argentina and you're uh, such a badass. And he said, oh, I went to Argentina twice. I said, I know, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. And I would plug his amp on stage and assist him and walk out of stage and Taj Mahal would come and say, like, how come he's upstairs and I'm not on stage? All right, come <laughs> to the gear room. Uh, I go, hey, which amp you want? I want that amp. Okay, get the amp. And at some some Mondays we'll have, like, you know, 25 people on stage doing all kinds of between players and singers and it was massive massive it was so much fun when that went away it went away into another club which I couldn't follow up I don't know what happened but it went into it was another club that started hosting the same kind of thing and it was just like you see the brotherhood you see that and this is something that you should be proud of and and we should all practice. I met so many people in my life. Little Richard is one of them. And so many, so many, so many. But the ones that struck me the most are not because of their artistry, but it's because of their humanity.
0: Okay. They're the
1: best people. I went into the bathroom of the third floor of the House of Blues one, one night. It wasn't on a Monday night. It was another night that I was there. And I went to the bathroom and Joe, the bathroom guy, was supposed to be there. And he was there with two other brothers and Mick Jagger smoking a joint. What? And I go like, <laughs> what, but Joe, what's going on? And he looks at me and he said, Yeah, I know we all gonna get a jail. And <laughs> Jagger turns around and he said, Gee, you, okay, you're smoking after. I was like, What? And you know, it's just one of everybody. Seriously. That's amazing. Not only that, uh, So many stories like that, that people strike you to the fact that I met with so many. But today's mentor of mine, my big mentor in today's life of mine, is a wonderful musician named Benny Maupin. And Benny Maupin is not only an extraordinary woodwind player who played in the album, for example, Beaches Brew with Miles Davis. He's also the woodwind player of the Headhunters. And many other things I wouldn't go in, into details, but the the bonding I created, you know, in a daily life with this guy, uh, and the opportunities that you know I created for myself from learning from this guy, and 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 why Klesmer Juice came about, and the struggle we had in the beginning, and then the movie The Wedding Crashers came, you know, as an opportunity, and 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 we never. Th- Never. Look, we went through audition. We didn't show up to the audition because we thought it was a plan, a prank. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're trying to prank us. Don't go. They called me and they said, where are you guys? We'll take somebody to film you wherever you are. So our audition reel for the movie The Wedding Crusher is in front of my garage (laughs) <laughs> really <laughs> embarrassing But we thought it was a prank So we played the, you know, the prank And then they, then they called me And they said We really want you guys in the movie uh, No, they said We really want, would like for you to play The version of the Havana Gila And uh, give me a budget And we went into that So I, I was still thinking like This is a prank Because they never offered me real money They said we'll take care of all the expenses So choose the best studio, choose the best musicians, you know, burn the money there. Just order the most expensive meal. We will not give you much money after, but we'll give you all the money you want for production. Okay. So I, you know, I got this beautiful studio that was in Santa Monica and La Brea, and I got some of the musicians from, from the band, but also other people. And uh, when we went to recording, we were recording, of course, if you have an Aguila for us, it's like, okay, let's get drunk before, during, and after, right? And play like, you know, inside out and do whatever. So to look good, I told the musical supervisor uh, of the movie, that we're going to give him like three or four different ideas in tempo and, and expression. And they choose whatever, from slow okay. to fast. Oh, great, great. And then we give you a rendition of the whole thing from four, slow to fast. All right, so we play slow. Great. We play medium tempo. Great. Uh, let's break for uh, dinner. All right. So this guy says, uh, look, uh, the director is coming. He wants to come to the session. It was like, great. You know, it looks like, you know, pranks, prank, prank. You know, yeah. bring him another. Pr- we were, if you will see me, you will be like, you idiot, wake up. So because you were at,
0: still doubting it at this point. You're all like, you... wait.
1: I was wow. like, what are they going to do with this music? You know, I was, I was like, really a foot out, a foot in and a foot out. And, but, you know, when, when the director showed up and, uh, i I don't know if I called my wife at the time or something I told her who the director was and she's an art director so she said oh say hi for me I said you know him yeah and I said do you think they're pranking us and she was like are you stupid I was like I don't know anything anything goes and she was like i I don't think he's into that he's into commercials and movies but I don't think he will do anything like it I said, okay. So I was like, you know, when he showed up, he was like a guy maybe 10 years older than we were. And he showed up with two guys who were ended up being the lawyers of uh, New Line Cinema. And he came and uh, we were finished shooting and we played the other of three, four more versions of the Havana Aguila. We followed whatever he wanted to do. We did something uh, in suggestions. We were all uh, hugging each other and kissing each other. And he takes me to the side and he said, I got to be honest with you. I said, he comes to like, I wanted to prank you, but now he's too nice. And he said, <laughs> I want to invite you to the movie. I said, What do you mean? I said, I want you to be in, on camera. Oh, I said, awesome. What do you mean? And he said, Well, to tell you the truth, I was coming to see like, you know, Hasidic people with the beard and the fire, and I see all hipsters, and you guys play so nice. And this music is so nice, and it got me so many images in my mind. I want you guys to be in the movie. Fantastic. I said, that's the fucking prank I was, you know, the cue I was waiting for. Now they're going to prank us in front of everyone. <laughs> I said, great. Sign these papers, and la, 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 and we'll call you back. Okay. So we did the recording all up. A few weeks later, you know, the hype goes out, and I go like, "You see, I told you, you know, we might be one of twenty bands they want to prank, and they decided to like, we're not good enough." <laughs> Same day, somebody call or sends an email. I don't remember what happened then. I said like, "Okay, these are the uh, uh, the shooting dates, but before you're gonna go to wardrobe and this and that and la la la," and it was like, "What?" So we had to go. Okay, anyway, so three days that uh, whatever in Hollywood. So we go to the shooting days and uh, shooting days with, uh, uh, with uh, Owen Wilson and Vince Vaughn. I know yeah. Vince since the 90s because I play. I used to play swing music. I used to play with a band called the Jumping Gimes. Okay. When, when the revival of swing happened in the 90s and when the whole, uh, what was it called, Swingers movie happened. Yep. Remember they go in a day with Big bag Voodoo Daddy's playing? Okay, if they would have yeah. gone on a Sunday night, Jumpin' gyms who would it be playing? But they went on a Thursday or a whatever other night. It was really hype because these people played forever. And then there were so many bands that that joint ran every single night on a different band. Really? It was awesome. The 90s and the swing. Uh, uh, so imagine, during the day, I was working for the House of Blues. And in the evening, m- some evenings, I was playing swing music. You know, it was just like, you know, I was submerging in this bl- Americana blues, you know, forever. I was like happy, so happy, because finally I was learning uh, what I loved the most, was, which is the blues. I think the blues is the most truthful American art form. Not, yeah. not only North American, but it's American. Why? Because the blues is um, what we know as the first interaction between people of different races or different tribes or different languages and the urge to communicate. Why? Because communication in music brings unity, and muni- unity gets the blues out, right? If you really, yeah. really, really sorrow, really painful, you go, you dance your blues away. But one thing is to dance by yourself. Another thing is to dance with a lot of people, right? <laughs> Very pe- true yeah you need that's the human experience you know that's why dj is playing in front of so many people because people want to be among people and the music becomes just a soundtrack you know so yeah it's, it's it you know the, every performer every artist should really kill its own ego the first thing to become an artist is to really stab your ego And the way to stab your ego to death is to play Klezmer because he has no ego. No ego. I play, you know, after the movie, we play weddings, bar mitzvahs, all people, young people, museums, festivals, uh, TV shows, and the next day at somebody's house. You have to do it all. You have to do it all. You challenge yourself to do it all. Let me tell you a story about Benny Mopin. How amazing this man is! He came to see me at uh, at Disney Hall. We played in 2007 or 2008. We had a date at the Disney Hall. We played at Disney Hall, and a show called Una Noche Yiddish, which translates into a Yiddish night, okay. and the whole Latin American Jewish experience. So they wanted me to bring like Yiddish tangos and this and that and you know what we did and speak a little bit in Spanish and in Hebrew and Yiddish and English, multicultural. I brought a singer named Divina Gloria all the way from Argentina. She was dancing, the other people dancing beautiful. We really show them, uh, that we weren't, you know, waiting for any schmuck to do anything we were doing. Yeah. So it was great. So he came, Benny came with his wife and enjoyed the show. And then we were talking about the show and he said, that was wonderful but they w- are waiting for you to sing for them. Okay. I said, I play clarinet and saxophone, I don't sing. And he said, never I know. And I went home and I started like thinking, what is the meaning of this? So a friend brought me an accordion and I taught myself how to play accordion. And I taught myself a few Yiddish songs. And I went back to Benny Mopin and I showcased for him. And I said, this is what I've learned. And I played some songs. Uh, with the accordion, and uh, he said, Great, this is great. Uh, but you in somebody else's music, put something that is your own together. Okay. So I had, a, I had a dream because at the moment I was uh, writing short stories about fantastic situations that happened with uh, clarinetists. So I was, I'm um, <coughs> sorry, writing no about this clarinet player who encounters uh, Theodor Herzl in the middle of, of nowhere in Russia. And Theodor Herzl says, you know, we are moving all to Israel. All the Jews are moving to Israel. And how are we going to send this message to everybody? And Herzl says, it's you the musicians. And passes a poem. He says, this poem in this weird language uh, called Hebrew is called the Hatikba. I means the hope. And okay. go and teach other people these things. And... You know, I wake up from my dream and like, oh, my God, what a dream. And (laughs) so seriously, he was like, wow, what a vivid dream. I should put that in writing. So while putting it it in writing, uh, I'm thinking like, what am I going to do with? uh, I got to do something with this. What is this musician going to do with the music? Because he only gets the poem. And we all know how the Hatikwa with the new music sounds like. But is this the music that originally happened and then? It clicked on me. And instead of playing with the original four, four beat, I put it into a three, four beat and made it into a bar song. Okay. You know, like a beer song. <laughs> 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 <Honor> <muching> so it could be like <laughs> an Irish
0: drinking song in a way, but like
1: a- Exactly. How, you know, musicians go to where people are. People don't go to where musicians are. Musicians go to where people are. So we go where, where people are and we entertain them. We share and we teach them and then we go away and we go to the next one. <laughs> and, you know, I so went to Benny Maupin and played for him with the, with the tale of, this, of the dream I had. And he was like, that's great. Use that. Use that in your show. That is it's a very good thing. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, I just gonna go and play music and people dance and whatever. Now, thinking about how to entertain, how to tell stories in between the songs and engage them. You know, I only have a clarinet. You yeah. know, yeah, it's really challenging. But hey, man, I got five CDs out. My CDs, Klezmer Juice has a distribution deal with. ARC Music International in London for 75 countries. So we sell a lot of albums. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. It's just, you know, it's unfolding. You know what I'm saying? It's just unfolding. I see it unfolding. But again, to me, my experience is this. When you see the rainbow in the waterfall, Don't concentrate on the rainbow because the rainbow is the effect of the flash of water. The important thing is to flash the water is the water flow makes the rainbow It's not the other way around. You need as again, you know, you you need to push yourself as fast as you can to jump into these opportunities, you know, and push other people to run faster and to, and, and to get into a a very, Focused uh, artistic thing. And then if you need to go sell shoes from night to five or work in a law firm from night to five, challenge yourself and flip it around because nothing happens overnight. Nothing that, that goes happens.
0: back to that uh, train analogy that you had too, like where opportunity is a train that flies by you at 500 miles an hour. It kind of ties right back into that.
1: Imagine yourself, Aaron. I am challenging you as much as I'm challenging myself, run in your own career as fast as you can. I mean, the way we encounter each other shows that you are seeking and seeking yes. is going full speed. And I'm, you know, the encounter of the seeker is the full speed, you know, complaining, oh, Trump, oh, oh, I got no time, no real, time. I got no time to watch TV my wife is mad at me sometimes because we spend very little time together because you're always busy. I said, hey, I heard that before, you know, but I put my priorities and by sharing my priorities, I hope to enlight, to shake your own priorities and to put them straight with your age and your talent.
0: Yes, yes. And just like you said, like uh, you don't really have a whole lot of time to watch TV. When I do sit down and watch TV, my girlfriend gets mad at me because (laughs) I typically fall asleep because I'm constantly working my day job, working the podcast, working everything, so I'm exhausted. I sit down, relax, and I'm like,
1: I'm I'm out. (laughs) You know what? It used to be only famous people's life, but the internet, brought this technology, brought the experience to everyone so everyone can do it. When I was 18 years old, when I was 20 years old, before leaving Argentina, I got so many projects coming to me as you're gonna be the next Latin Kennedy, you're gonna be the next king of uh, cumbias, you're gonna be la 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 but all came through ARs all came through people who, Uh, had positions in record companies uh, or record labels. Nothing was independent. You know, you would have to work for a big guy and I would have to be an artist of a company for us to do this. This is the human experience in terms of encouragement. That's why it's so controversial because you wake up in the morning and you're only thinking about scratching your ass and you watch everybody on Facebook already up and running, and people posting shit. So you go like, okay, what's my option? Complaining or getting up and doing? So getting yeah. up and doing is so unused to. <laughs> is so unused to that now, get up and do something. I watch these girls, uh, you know, uh, on uh, on a YouTube video. Somebody show me this girl that's this very quiet shit, you know, like very quiet stuff. Blah, 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 blah. I was like, what is that? Nothing, it's just quiet. It's that like if you want quiet, lower the volume, you fool. But they just want quiet from the source. Okay. And I go like, perfect. Because reinforces my platform of today. And I'm telling you what is happening with me today, Aaron. This is what I'm sharing. We were talking about the past up until now. This okay. is how I see what's going on today. The flow of options got to be endless because people like options. People are raised now by, by many options. There's not only one option. There's many options. Very so true. people want more options. They want to hear your podcast, but they want to choose yours from 10,000 others, not from two others.
0: Yeah, and they want to do. They want to do like they want those options, and they want to be able to do like three things at once: listen to the podcast on Facebook and Instagram while jogging or something like that.
1: (laughs) I'm up for it, man, because um, eh, there's uh, there's no rest for the wicked. Now, if you think what they like in the '80s is what they like today, you're wrong. If you think what they like in 2018. Is what they like today, you're also wrong. If you think you know what they like, you're wrong. Because <laughs> constantly seeking is what's gonna get you into swimming and non sinking. Because part of your artistry belongs to them. You have to give it to them. It's for them, it's not for you. And that energy, then master that energy because it comes right back at you. When people like what you do, you transform envy or not knowing or hate into pride, into they're proud of you, into support, into uh, emotion. So that energy back, hey, be careful, you know, be really careful. You really need to learn how when you're in the right path and you're doing the right thing, people sh- shower you back with these beautiful energy.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's great. Like, you know, the energy you receive back, too, is pretty awesome. Like, when you put that energy out there. Like, I've done stand-up comedy as well. And getting that, like, feedback from the crowd, that instant feedback, uh, I imagine it's the same as performing live as a band. Uh, it's just, it just pours into you and energizes you so so much right away.
1: You just want to die right there. You just want to die. You want to transcend. You're going to go like, okay, I can be energy. I understand energy. It makes you cry, right? Yeah. It, it makes you sweat. It makes you weak. It makes you fucked up. It makes you shine <laughs> like you never know. It makes you really give everything because that energy is like, oh, that's all you have? Come on, man. It's like a wild horse that says, ah, oh, you want to ride it? Oh, you want to ride You want to put sense? You want to put dollars, you want to put hundred dollars, you want to put a thousand dollars, it really comes back and you think it's endless until you run out of it and they run out of it too, because if you can maintain that, you know, and boom, 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 like I've seen, you know, a little richer, for example, you know, to me, it was like a guy made out of light with, with the age and, and, uh, the performance was not matching. I mean, the physical body of the guy, and his age, and the performer were a complete different person. And 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 what I what I witnessed on stage with him was something that now I demand to myself. Let me tell you the experience. It okay. Yes, please share. It, this was the very beginning. You know, the House of Blues ended up having different, different uh, houses in different towns. So yeah. there was one in Boston, one in New Orleans, in Chicago, L.A., and then they opened different ones. But, you know, those were the ones that they were and the one somewhere else in Texas somewhere. I don't remember, but those were the four or five ones that they at the time I worked for them. They were uh, all connected. So they were experimented with broadcasting. So what they were doing is they were using the phone lines to broadcast the show in L.A. to different House of Blues in different parts of the country and timing the delay. You know, it was an experiment, but they needed yeah. a show. So they needed a bit. you know, House of Blues. Who are we going to broadcast, you know, nationwide to all, the, you know, in this new telephone thing, whatever. Well, let's get, you know, Little Richard. And Little Richard said, okay, yeah, fine. I go, you know, I do a 40-minute show, no problem. So when they told him that you know it has to be with a band, he was like, Okay, but I'm not gonna bring my band. And he said, No, we're gonna provide you with the House of Blues um uh, band, with a house band. Oh, great. Uh, they would like to uh rehearse with you if, if if it's possible. And Little Richard answers, if any musician has to rehearse my music, it's in the wrong business. <laughs> Why would we say that? Because it's Little Richard, man. If you don't know how to play "Tutti Fruity or all the songs that Little Richard plays, you don't know anything.
0: Fair enough, (laughs) fair enough. I thought that's (laughs) where it was going, but I wasn't sure. (laughs) Exactly.
1: He said, like, I'm Little Richard. (laughs) You should know my songs. It's like, you know, it's like playing with with Paul McCartney Beatles tunes. He's not asking you, hey, dude, do you know this song? He starts playing because he's assuming you know the song. So Little Richard, too. So what happened was, We had a crowd in LA and a crowd in different uh, House of Blues uh, venues uh, uh, all over the country. And uh, we warm up the the, 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 uh, the event by playing a song or two songs. And then he walked into the stage. At that point, we had never seen him before. So we meet him on stage. He comes on stage and starts banging on that piano like he's the angel of hell, man. (laughs) I have never seen anybody playing and singing, and putting everybody on their feet, and the energy was flowing, it was like saxophone solo, and I would play a solo, and he would come back, and he guitar solo, and this and that, 40 minutes of non-stop madness, which I was elevated to the seventh heaven, for sure, because (laughs) it was amazing, and At that point, I worked for the House of Blues for long enough, so I knew different people and I had experience playing with other people. So I know when the music elevates you and elevates to a point where it's so engaging that when we finish, I had to rush to keep on going. So we beg his manager to go and shake his hand. Let's (laughs) Please go shake his hand. We brought a, a photograph camera. We were all excited, like... Man, we just played with little Richard, and this man was bad ass, bad. And it was like, dude, we were crying. He was so good. We were hugging and crying. It was like, dude, go and talk to the manager. We need to meet with him. And he said, of course, come on, come on, come on up. So we went up to his uh, green room, and he was the nicest guy. And he said, you know, it's been a long time season. I haven't played with a white boy. And I said, what about a white boy from Argentina? he was laughing and we were hugging to pictures. <laughs> he signed up a bunch of, I don't know, give us gifts, a, a huge hug, a group hug. And he said, you guys are amazing. Never give up. Never give up. This is Little Richard. Never give up. I and, love that, man. Oh, man. Oh, God,
0: oh, man. I love when the people you, like, idolize or look up to are as cool as you hope they would be.
1: Beyond. Beyond.
0: That's beyond. even better.
1: You go beyond. <laughs> they, you, you then want to be like them. Then you go like, I want to be like this guy. Fast forwarding, I had an experience play with another amazing jazz uh, saxophonist named Yusef Latif. Okay. And Yusef Latif came and played with a contemporary orchestra that also Benny Mopping is involved and is conducted by Adam Rudolph, who's everybody in that band is like a master on their craft. So he collided all these amazing people and through grids and cues, conducts this out space music that is amazing. And we had Yusef Latif as a guest soloist uh, one season, and he came, and I spent a week with him. And, you know, he's a Muslim, and I'm a Jew, and nothing brought us more together. Nothing right on, brought the two of us more together. Uh, I don't know. I felt like he was my dad, my grandfather, <laughs> my brother. He spoke with me. He said, to ask me any question. I had a list of questions related with music that all my friends gave me, to ask him about like harmony and melodies and experience is so such a heart, such a heart, uh, such a, I told him, I said, I want to be your disciple. And he said, there's no such thing. <laughs> there's no such thing. Carry on. Do what you do is very precious. You're a Jew. You're a South American Jew. That has tremendous value, tremendous value. Use it or you lose it. Yeah. And you want to be a waste. Who wants to be a waste? You want to be a waste? I don't want to be a waste. So, so many times people said to me, do you want to be a waste? Don't do it. Do you want to be productive? Do it. You know, so many people, I mean, support is greater than salary.
0: I actually really like that. It, of course, you need to have a little bit of salary along with the support. but <laughs> Don't worry.
1: Support goes beyond. support. If you think I'm doing this for support, not for salary, the money will come tenfold. Don't worry about the money because the money is the excuse to stop everything. Right? It stops yeah. everything. Okay, now let's go to Vegas. We don't have any money. We are not going. As simple (laughs) as that.
0: (laughs) Be a short or no fun trip in Vegas with no money.
1: Exactly. (laughs) If you don't have any money, uh you cannot manifest what you want unless you're completely out of your mind or you have tremendous support. So strive for support. You know, you know, when you are as old as I am, you 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 lose your Core energy and you will have to, to to milk energy out of your other sides of your life. And and you will miss those good old days. But it doesn't matter because you gain more experience. So now you can relay on experience. And your experience is tremendously important. Yeah. Tremendous. Now you want to be really wise, absorb other people's experiences like your own.
0: Yes, definitely. Like learn from other people's successes and mistakes, right? Like, instead of having to touch the burner to find out it's hot, be like, hey, Steve over there, he touched, uh, he touched the burner and he got blisters all of his hand. I'm not doing that. <laughs> In every single lines.
1: level has to be the same thing, exactly. If you really learn the basics by observation and experience, why you don't trust that because we don't trust ourselves in that core okay work on that trust whatever it is is talking is singing is playing is writing is communicating is all of the above don't cut short uh you know no one will shine your own life more than yourself <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah. no one will do anything m- more than what you do yourself for your own life. Then they will support you, and that comes full circle.
0: That's powerful, right there, man. That's powerful.
1: Dude, um. you are a powerful man. Like everyone else, the attitude is what matters. And I am sick and tired of finding people that don't know what the attitude is or they think the attitude is wrong. No, your attitude is right. Absolutely right. The manifestation of your attitude might be wrong, but you can change that because one thing is you and another thing is the manifestation of your acts or, you know, in in thoughts, deeds and actions, right? But inside of you, you never had a girlfriend that you really love and all of a sudden you're fighting (laughs) and you say, okay, hold on a second, Jane, hold on a second, Jane. I really meant to say, I love you. I didn't mean to say anything else but to, you know, really share my love to you. And it all came in the wrong side. Okay, it's my fault, but I can repay that, you know, I can repair and and broadcast it in the right way. Why am I have to say you, uh, cursed at you when I like your art? You're a mother, yeah, when I like what you do. Instead of saying, I really like what you do. Right. Yeah. Why saying no? and mean, yes. Say yes. Say I tell yes. my wife, you want me to do something? Don't assume I will alone will follow this, you know, the signs. No, you tell me, go pick up this and do that. That's how <laughs> men work
0: yes yes like women will be on the couch being like i'm i don't you think it's kind of cold in here expecting you to pick up that clue and just go turn on the heat or grab a blanket but you're like sitting there, yeah it is kind of cold in here uh but if she would have said like could you turn on the heat you'd be like yes but otherwise you're just sitting on our couch just a little bit cold alongside her and she's getting
1: all angry because uh it's not only women it's people in general don't have uh The humbleness to understand that by you asking somebody to do something for you is fine. Honey, can you go turn on the heater? Of course. Of course. But the minute you think it's a burden to other people, whatever you need, okay, either you do it yourself or don't get mad. Yeah. But there's no problem in requesting things, you know? If I say to you, hey, dude, uh, can you raise your volume? Or is one thing, and another thing is, like, I I can really hear you. Would you mind please raising your volume until it's it's good enough? Your attitude changes, but not because of that line. Your attitude towards me changes. So you are responsible for how I perceive you, and I'm responsible for you how you perceive me. I'm not assuming that, you know, I learned this in America. People go like, well, you don't know who I am. No, I don't know who you are because there's so many people. You, you tell me who you are. I mean, you know, and, and if you cannot describe yourself, go find a dictionary and work on it because it's the, it, everyone is capable of it and is proving. You know, the whole thing behind this is to encourage you and everybody to don't give up, man. Keep on going. Keep on going, you know, till the end of your life. Johnny Guitar Watson, who's the guitar player who is the mentor of Frank Zappa, if you don't okay. know who that oh, yeah. old black blues guy was. Anyway, he was devoted to all these youngsters that were at the House of Blues at the time and whatever. And he came and participated and loved young people. And he wasn't a storyteller. He was like a musician, man. He instead of sitting and playing and talking, he will be playing. And one day he had a tour in Japan and he died on stage.
0: Just randomly, just like
1: Well, down. he was an old man, but you know, yeah, he just needed to go. And yeah, what a party, man. He was playing on stage and died.
0: That's a way to go out right there. Man,
1: I don't fear death. I fear when is it gonna come to me? I embrace death. One my wife and I almost kind of like adopted a kid that ended up dying unfortunately that's a different story yeah i know It's, it's you know life is so both ways um but through that hardship you learn so much so much and that you need to be in the right place because death can come at any moment so much rather find me playing or find me you know hey Dude, if I gonna die, I much rather die. If I can choose how, but nobody can. Neither how, neither when. Right? Yeah. You know that. uh, You know we are not in power to the end. We are in power all the way up until the end. Right? You married the hottest chick in the world. You're up there. She loves you, adores you. Then you married another one that is even hotter because the two of them love each other and they love you and they, they you love a third one. And then you end up with six women who are like, you know, your life itself. And <laughs> then you die. Right? Yep. That's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. Right? Yes. Or one day, they, you don't have to die. They come and they say, you cannot go along with this anymore. They'll go away one second to the other. They'll walk away out of your life. Yeah. It's like dying. Right? You get, you know, when my first girlfriend broke up with me, I couldn't sleep for days.
0: That's always the worst I,
1: one. The worst one. Why? Because I had my hopes into something else. And then all, all of a sudden she, uh, she called me up and she said, hey, you want to come over tonight? And he was like, yeah, but it's already late. It doesn't matter. Come over. He said, okay, I'll be there like around 1130. Perfect. I'll wait for you. So I asked my dad for his car. I drive all the way to my girlfriend's uh, house thinking like, you know, yeah. the best is yet to come. Here we go. And I was fully loaded and protected. I walk into the house, <laughs> you know, going into A for sure, and she starts crying. And I was like, oh, my God, is that happiness or sadness? I said, what's wrong? And she said, it's not you, it's me. And immediately I was like, what? Yeah. Hold on a second. I got a six pack of beer. I got a six pack of condoms. And I'm like three tapes and CDs to spend the night. What do you mean? It's not you, it's me. And she did the crying and she dumped me right there with the beer and the the music and the whole thing. So I drove back home and I told my dad and I didn't know what to do. I drank the whole beer. I got drunk and I fell asleep and days go by and I was like destroyed, completely destroyed. And my music teacher said something that, you know, since that moment, I took everything really like it is. He said, there's a lot of fish in the water. Yeah. That is a very true statement. And I go like, you know what? You're so wise. (laughs) (laughs) Because hope is in the future. And to understand that something is done makes you hopeless. Because you have to go through that kind of like, you know, morning, whatever. But you have to raise the banner of hope to the future. Because hope is in the future. And he said exactly what I needed to hear in order for me to reload, you know, and go like, okay, I already cried enough. And boom, you know, I continue moving along. Then I took everything else without the weight of the ego, without the weight of uh, personal, you know, attack. You know, when, when your girlfriend's parents hate you? It's not that they hate you, Aaron. They hate you. You look like a nice man. They don't hate me. They hate who you are. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not a fighter. You know, everybody, uh, you know, somebody that got a place in your heart at least for 40 minutes or a year, whatever it is, it has to stay there. You know, you just embrace, you know, open the the doors of your heart and turn. This is what, what I did with my dad. And this is another profound experience I had. I was not getting along with my dad, not okay. at all. You know, not at all. And that, you know, really, uh, really put me into a very unhappy thing. You know, disconnected and not respecting, and not taking. You know, and un- until Benny Moppin said, "Well, you can learn for what to do, and you so you can learn for what not to do. So maybe your dad's example is another option." that you have in your hand, and you can use it that to discard, you know, that your dad is an asshole with, uh, with you. Okay, be nice to your own kids. Uh, your dad never gave you money. Be generous to your own kids. You know, it's an option. Very true. Exactly. So your dad has to be on top of the list, even of the list of what not to do. So when I put my dad on top of the list, I saw him shining. And I see the value in this man's life. And I started connecting with him and understanding that if we are not connected, it's 100% my responsibility and 100% his. But my 100% has to be covered. So I started calling him and connecting with him in a way that we were talking about the weather, who cares? The fact that I was able to talk to him for three minutes, two minutes, five minutes, you know is to me valuable because he would tell me more stuff that I can put on top of the list of things that what not to do
0: yeah definitely man definitely <laughs> uh, learning by example right there i I got a question for you here I, well actually it's bringing it back to something else here before the show was talk before the show started we were talking for a minute and the whole uh, story you were telling me about uh. One of uh, your mentors being uh, Muslim and you being Jewish brought me back to the point thinking about what you thought music was about and what the purpose of music was. Uh, right now or from Um, at the at the beginning I'll just I'll just introduce this part and then I'll edit my explanation of it out but you were saying that you can't hate somebody who you like their music of and it's kind of the arrowhead and stuff like that and I, I wanted to make sure we got that into the conversation
1: I think that music is like an arrowhead you know music And
0: that does it for part one of Gustavo Bulgac right here on Uncontained. And you'll uh, have to tune in to catch the second half of that and... uh hear gustavo finish that thought yeah i know it was kind of a jerk move having a cliffhanger but hey all your favorite shows do it so come back and see uh see what the purpose of music is to gustavo and uh also in the conclusion we'll we'll talk a little bit more about what happened on the wedding crashers set along with some more great quotable moments and the five questions to wrap up the show as well so another great episode on the way part two of gustavo bulgach thank you for listening and supporting the show and please spread the word the word of mouth is the best source of advertising especially when it comes to podcasts. let somebody else know you heard this episode and uh, that they should too thank you for listening and until next time Live uncontained.